Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Born to Reign. Remember last week we started our conversation on the Sabbath and what does the Sabbath include? What does it require? Or what's the nature of the Sabbath? And we sort of got into uh, why we believe that the Sabbath was transferred from Saturday to Sunday. Uh, but today we're going to get into more of that discussion, uh, discuss it a little bit more further in depth. And as promised, we're going to get into the discussion on the Feast of Tabernacles and what those Old Testament feasts have to do with us as New Testament believers. So without further ado, we're going to jump in and back into our discussion on what is the Sabbath. This is where we start to get into the uh, explaining the change of the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Uh, this, in order for you to understand this, the best way to understand it is to put you in the mind of a first century Jew. Uh, a first century Jew who understood the scriptures. The first century Jew who would look at Jesus and say, you're the Christ, the Son of God. The first century Jew who isn't like Jesus chastised. Who, who understands the scriptures and Jesus doesn't have to say to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? He says elsewhere that the prophets, they testify of me. All these scriptures, the Old Testament, it's about me. So the first century Jew who understood the scriptures properly would have looked at these feasts, would have looked at these prophecies and understood the Sabbath is not going anywhere. And as a matter of fact, they would have also understood the Sabbath is going to change to the first day of the week because Jesus is going to put us back in the garden with Adam, where we're going to be first-day Sabbatarians again. Because he's, he's the second Adam. Right. That's what, that's what he has to do. So Paul calls him the second Adam. We're not just yeah. making that up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're going you're gonna to jump me into the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And this, yeah, could, this could be its own episode. Oh, it definitely Probably. Could. Yeah. Um, so uh, just, just to look at where, where the Feast of Tabernacles comes from, um, it, it's given to the, the people of Israel as one of the um, pilgrimage feasts that one of, one of the, one of the feasts that all Israel, all of the, the, the uh, males of Israel were supposed to pilgrim to Jerusalem uh, to worship God. Okay. Um, and this feast was eight days long. Mm, that's peculiar. It's, it was, it was to start on the, uh, 15th day of the month and it was that first day of the feast was to be a sabbath and it was the first day of the week so it was supposed to be the first day of the week um all through you have the the feast of tabernacles where the the people uh dwell in tents um as a a, a reminder of their time in egypt or, or their time in the, the wilderness and the reminder of god's deliverance from egypt um and then on the eighth day of the the um, feast, it's also supposed to be a Sabbath. So in those eight days, there's actually three Sabbaths: the the first okay. day, the eighth day, and the the, the traditional weekly Sabbath. Okay. Um, that, that would end end that week, um, and it's it, it's amazing what what you see in in just that. Okay, first day, eighth day, th those were set aside as special Sabbaths. So for so for. One cycle, they were Sunday Sabbatarians. Right. Okay. And, and it wasn't 
uncommon, and I'd have to look back at uh, the Passover because I think the Passover has a, a similar um, structure to it, where there there was an added Sabbath to it, um, where because when you look, at, and this is the kind of goes into the discussion of what day was Jesus crucified. You have um, some people say it was Wednesday, some people say it was Thursday, some people say it was Friday, um, and depending on how you read the the days of the the Passover, uh, because they were it was the day of preparation for a Sabbath. And so, and so they were, they were looking at that and, and that kind of goes back to how they, how they viewed the Sabbath. Um, but the way that the, the way it was set up, um, the, the feast of tabernacles in particular, um, you have this set aside day and the feast of tabernacles actually ends up being the most bloody of all of the sacrifice of all of the, the feasts. Um, and I guess before we even get into that, I think it's even more important to look at uh, the the feasts. All of the feasts were pointing towards something. Yeah. Something uh, pertaining to the the new covenant, the the perfected covenant. Um, and so when we look at what the Old Testament says about the the old order, uh, we're not looking at the New Testament and saying that it replaced anything. We're saying that the New Testament is that bud coming to bloom. It, it's it's becoming the flower. It's showing itself to be what it was. Uh, that that type and shadow is now a full, colorful picture for us. Yeah. Um, and so, when you look at the uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, you have to say, okay, what what was it pointing towards? Uh, and and then Zechariah at the end of his prophecy, uh, Zechariah uh, prophesies uh, and and refers to the. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles as a part of what's going to happen in the kingdom of the coming Messiah. Um, and, and so a, a few of these, these things that he so, notes, go ahead. So a new covenant prophecy yeah. is, so Zechariah foresees the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles in the new covenant. Yeah. yeah. Is that, that, so if you put that side aside with Isaiah, who says they're going to worship me from Sabbath to Sabbath, Mm-hmm. And then Zechariah prophesies that the Feast of Tabernacles is going to be celebrated in the New Covenant. What does that give you? Right. It gives you a eighth day. It gives you a first day Sabbath to a first day Sabbath celebration week to week in the New Covenant. Right. Yeah. yeah and it, it sets you up for the um, for that celebration. And he, he makes it clear what, what that Sabbath was or what this what that feast was pointing towards. Um, the sacrifices that were offered uh, by the Jews in the, the Feast of Tabernacles was, like I said, the bloodiest of all of the, sac- of all of the, the feasts. There were, se- there were 70 bulls offered Whoa. in descending order. Um, so, so you start with, um, not, on the, not on the first day, that first day Sabbath that was set aside, but that second day of the, the, um, of the feast, they start by offering... Um, thirteen bulls, and I I have to check my math on that. Right. But then they go it is thirteen, twelve, eleven, and, and by the end of of it, it's descended in order to the point where they've offered seventy bulls, hmm. but far and away the bloodiest uh, sacrifice of all of the of all of the feasts. Um, what did the Jews view of? What what did, what was the significance of the of the sacrifices? Because every sacrifice uh, had to have a meaning to it, a it, fulfillment. They weren't just like, oh, let's just kill seventy <laughs> bulls because 
we want to kill 70 bulls. Like right. I need some steak. Uh, <laughs> they were, they were, they were doing something there. And what, what we're told from um, the feast of tabernacles is a, it's a reminder of uh, the, that time in the wilderness where God provided for their needs uh, by sending manna, by sending blessing for them uh, and providing for them in the wilderness. Um, and so what they viewed this as is it's also, it's also referred to as the, the, um, the feast of the ingathering. It's right at the, it's right at harvest time. It's right at the time when uh, people are start starting to, to gather the harvest. Uh, and so the, the feast is to say that if you don't celebrate this feast, um, you don't get rain. And so Zechariah, um, in his in his uh, prophecy, uh, let me see, find the verse here. Um, um, Zechariah chapter fourteen, verse seventeen. It says, "And it shall come, and it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King of the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain." Um, and if the family of Egypt go not up and it come not that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. So they, they viewed this, this feast as they were offering. And the significance of the 70 bulls was that the, the Jews viewed that there was 70 nations across right. the earth. So their, their view of the, the 70 nations was that they were offering a bull, uh, each each time was an intercession for their, uh, so that the the rain would come on the other those other nations. They so were they're, so they're essentially praying for the world, right? Yeah, because and, and this kind of goes back to the the Abrahamic covenant where God says, um, "In you, all nations will be blessed." And so they view, okay, God made this promise that we will get rain by having these. Um, this uh, this feast, but what about these other nations? Well, right. we can offer these other nations uh, sacrifices on their behalf. We intercede for them, um, and God will bless them mm. through us. Uh, and so, so, they so they're can... praying for these other nations with the Abrahamic covenant in mind that Abraham's right. going to be a father of many nations, and they're thinking about David and his his coming son, who's going to come and bring the nations to himself, and what else are they thinking besides the salvation of the world? Right. They ha that's what they're thinking. And then you, you put the new covenant lens on this, the apostolic lens on this. And, and what are sacrifices in the New Testament? Prayer, sacrifices of praise. Uh, these people are praying. The, the, the Jews are praying for the world right. to come to salvation. And yet their lack of understanding in that was actually that they, they viewed that the decrease of those the decreasing amount of those sacrifices was so that th they believed that they were going to be the last one standing hmm. they didn't view, they, they didn't connect the ingathering of the harvest with the ingathering of the nations hmm. and so they they looked at this as a a feast that was bringing people um, uh, that the, the nations were going to God was going to smite them and that they weren't, they weren't going to have to worry about it for a while. Um, and so that descending order that they weren't going to, there was going to be fewer and fewer, that there was going to be less pagan nations rather than viewing it as 
God's going to graft all of these pagan nations in. Um, and so they're, the, the, the pagan mindset there is, or, or the, the Jewish mindset of, of the pagans is not to, uh, it, it was a superiority. It was a view of uh, we're, we're better than, than those nations, and those nations wouldn't get rain if it wasn't for us. Mm. Um, and so then this promise of the kingdom that, there, that rain won't come, you're looking at uh, spiritual blessing from observing this Feast of Tabernacles. Um, but then when you look at these, these other things, and this, we're a little bit off of uh, Sabbath, but it, it relegates it back in. We, we can rope it back into the Sabbath that we know. Um, it says that, so that those that come not up, um, this is the punishment of them. They won't get rain. They don't receive blessing. And, and when we see rain in the Old Testament, we're seeing this as God's blessing. Uh, over and over again, an agricultural society would say, okay, rain brings blessing. Yeah. brings crops it, it signifies the blessing of god um so it, so it, if you're not celebrating that you're not receiving the blessing of god um, and then what he finishes this prophecy of is he says in that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the lord and the pots in the lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts, and all they that sacrifice shall come and take them and see therein, and in that day there shall be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So what he, he points to there is that on the bells of horses, it's written holiness to the Lord. Where else is holiness to the Lord written? It's written on the uh, the crest that's on the the turban of the high priest when he goes into the Holy of Holies. It's, it's showing this inversion it's turning inside out of the temple of God. The, it says that the pots on the side of the road are the same as the, the sacred uh, pots that are used in temple worship. Um, so he, he's flipping this in, inside out. And then he's saying, there will be no more Canaanite. The Jews view this and say, God's going to wipe out all these other nations and we're going to be the last one standing. But the feast is called the feast of the ingathering. And it calls the Egyptians. We're, we're saying the new covenant doesn't say that all these other nations are going to fall by the wayside. We're going to say, as Isaiah says, they're going to stream up to the mountain of the Lord. They're going to come to the mountain of the Lord. And then they're, they're coming in. All those nations are coming to God. And then to cap that, the whole thing off is that this eighth day, first day, eighth day, um, signifies Sunday worship. And it's mm. all it's all pointing here that this whole feast is pointing towards New Testament, Sunday worship, Gentiles, that there is no Jew nor Greek. That's where Paul all, gets it. All one people of Paul's God. exposition yeah. of there will be no Canaanite is there is neither Jew nor Gentile in Christ. Right. That's where Paul gets that. He didn't make it up. Right. He, has, he had apostolic authority to reveal things God revealed to him, but that, that's where he got it. And so that's just amazing, right? Yeah. So, so what you have right here is a prophecy of uh, the entire world, all nations, although they lost their distinction somehow, but they're all coming to worship on the eighth day from, from Sunday to Sunday. And if they don't, they're not getting the blessing. Right. What 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 else is that besides new covenant worship where you have no temple? We don't have a temple anymore. We are the temple. We are the temple. Yeah. Um, 
and we're worshiping from Sunday to Sunday. And I'm Irish Mexican. You're German, what? Scottish. German Scottish, <laughs> with different ethnicities worshiping one in Christ. This is a glorious, glorious prophecy of the new covenant age. Yeah. And so the only way that you could uh, get around this, I can't think of a way to get around it, honestly. No, there, there's really not. And that's where you have to come back to um, why, why are we wanting to get around it? Uh, is there, right. is there a, well, a reason think... that we would be trying to get around it? And when, when you really look at what uh, the worship of God means, it, where we look back at the, the Old Testament and see that these things that we're talking about aren't new ideas. They're not just like, oh, well, uh, it's more convenient for us to worship on Sunday instead of Saturday. Yeah, I hate that. Um, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, there's basis for this in, in Scripture. So just even a quick uh, foray into uh, Zechariah to look at this uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Um just shows that okay there there's a basis for this and then like you said that there's um there's reference in the new testament to that that concept that we can see that that idea flowering and blooming and bearing fruit uh, in the new testament that these things that were being pointed to actually happen they're, they're actually supposed to happen this way uh and, and so uh, as we we push into the the new covenant there's a beauty of uh, finding yourself in a part of this harvest that, that God has called. Uh, and, and the worshiping of the Lord on the Lord's day is not something that you just uh, make up out, out of thin air. Now I see you right. turned to Hebrews uh, chapter four. I just put my hand and, on the and, dagger and th you know is, what it is. This is, this is your little, <laughs> little uh, hobby horse. Um, this is your, your favorite little passage. Uh, but, but to look at the, the Sabbath as um, one of the common objections, and I'll turn this over to you. One of the common objections is um, of the nine out of the 10 commandments in the Decalogue, mm. um, nine of the 10 are repeated in the New Testament. And the only one that's not explicitly repeated in the New Testament is the Sabbath. So therefore we're to conclude that the Sabbath is not, binding on on christians that's that's our that's your common objection um so what is your um thought and response to that well number one there's a lot wrong with the hermeneutic there you can't just assume because the bible doesn't say something that you can do it the bible doesn't actually say that i can't go smoke a fat wet heroin doobie it doesn't say that right so uh, you, a lot of the times things get inverted on their head. When Paul wrote second Timothy three sixteen, for all scripture is theonustos, God breathed and profitable for correction to equip every man of God. Paul, Timothy didn't have the 27 books of the new Testament sitting right in front of him. Right. He was in the new Testament. Paul was telling Timothy, look at the old Testament. Right. So when us now, 2,000 years later, look at the Old Testament. We have a tendency to think that the Old Testament is, as as uh, Pastor Wilson puts it, the scripture emeritus, the retired scripture. Not true. So the New Testament does not need to repeat something for it to be true. 
It doesn't. Or else what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16 is a lie. Right. It's not, or else he was lying to Timothy, saying the only thing you can go off is this letter and nothing else. So that's just uh, not true right off the right off the bat. Second, uh, the New Testament does say that we still have to keep the Sabbath. And where's that? Well, it's in this uh, book that you may never find uh, if you don't look for it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's called the Book of Hebrews, and I think that it's the most under understood, underrated, and chopped up and just abused book in the New Testament. But when you understand it, it's the most beautiful work of art that I've ever seen. Yeah, it's probably my favorite book of the Bible. I don't know. Revelation might be chopped up and oh yeah, maybe a little bit more. But yeah, you got me. That, there. that might might you just got be me there. Me, but well, that's because people know about Revelation. If right. people knew the Book of Hebrews existed. It might be more of a competition, <laughs> uh, but so you have so you have, I or, if, well, or if they thought it applied to us, right? Right. We're, we're not we're not Hebrews, so it, it, the, just skip it. That's fine. We we only have to read the the Pauline epistles that uh, apply to Gentiles. Yeah. We should do an episode on mid Acts dispensationalism. That'll be funny. Yeah, that would <laughs> actually be just a laughing fest. Uh, so common objection. It's not, it's not repeated. Another common objection is people will bring up Romans and Colossians, where Paul seemingly says, uh, at first glance, um, there's no such thing as a Sabbath. Don't judge anybody for keeping a day and you keeping another day uh, for new moons and all this stuff. He's like, don't. D- there's nothing, nothing in the New Covenant about Sabbath when you read it off first glance. Um, the problem with that is, actually, let me let me address Hebrews first, then I'll go back to those, and then I'll go to Revelation one ten, where John, where John talks about that stuff. Um, so Hebrews four explicitly says that there's still a Sabbath rest for the people of God, just explicitly. Um, if you've never flipped to this chapter in your Bible, you should definitely try it. Um, let's see. I'll, I'll start in verse seven again. He limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There, rem- there remaineth therefore a Sabbath rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So, let me just read that verse again real quick. There remaineth therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Right there. Right there. Right, right there in Scripture. So, are you, are you a person of God? Yes. Okay, then there remaineth, Tim, a Sabbath rest for you, which means a weekly day which shall be hallowed for worship and rest for you. Because you're a person of God. Now, a lot of people, um, maybe your uh, average Baptist, uh, will say 1689 London Baptist Confession. By the way, is Sabbatarian. Um, yep. However, uh, most modern Baptists or or non-denominational uh, will will tell you. Or actually, a lot of Reformed people nowadays don't believe this. Right. Um, which is a shame. But they'll say this is. Um, darn. Hold on. Oh, they'll say this is talking about resting in Christ. Yeah, Christ Christ is our Sabbath. I'm resting in Christ, 
24-8. And I don't need a Sabbath because I'm always Sabbathing in Christ. Well, there's a problem with that. Because a problem? So Lots of problems. <laughs> so they'll say, for example, like, well, you know, I'm resting in Christ. I'm resting from my sin and my works, and I'm resting in his righteousness. There's an antidote, and it's almost like Paul anticipated this, or Apollos, whoever, whoever wrote this or, or preached it, almost like they anticipated this objection because it says, so somebody will say to you, I'm resting in Christ, and therefore I don't need to rest. And you say, what are you resting from? Well, I'm resting from my sin and from my works. Okay, then. It says here, For he that has entered into his rest has also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. So if you're ceasing from your own works, as God did from his, was God working? And I mean, was God... Was God sinning? Was God <laughs> sinning? Was he, is he ceasing and also resting in the justification which he so much needed? No. I no, hope not. This is, <laughs> if he is, we're we're all in trouble. We're in big yeah. trouble. No, so th- that's absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do you rest in Christ? Yes. Justification by faith alone is the most uh, restful doctrine there is. But that's not what this is talking about. Right. It, it, there might be some aspects in which it is true, but you can't spin it. That's a violent, violent. Uh, mis mishandling of this text, and it makes God to be a sinner. We 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 need to take the take the word as it says it first, and say, okay, there remains the Sabbath rest. Okay, good. N- now we understand that, and then push it out and say, what's the other spiritual applications for that? Okay, should we view resting from sin as a part of our worship of God, and should that be happening all the time? Absolutely. Yeah. But that's not the primary interpretation of that text. You can't, you can make, you, there, there are spiritual principles that can be extracted from a text like that, but they should not be the primary based on what the context is. You don't want to be taking that principle out of context um, unless you've done that grunt work in the first place. And so looking at, okay, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I get tired after work, so I'm like, I don't know why people wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't want a Sabbath rest, right. um, but but the, at the very least, it's like okay, we still need. If Christ is our Sabbath rest, then why wouldn't we still take a time out to thank Him for giving us our rest? Right, and, and also like kind of like if you follow chapter four of Hebrews in the context, he talks about how the Sabbath is kind of a foreshadowing of, of the future when we're in heaven for eternity. So if you really have a problem, if you really just can't stand, just for, you don't know why, if you really have a problem with resting and putting aside your desires for a day, God gave you six days out of the week to yourself. If you can't put aside one day for him, if that bothers you, that's that's worrying because Hebrews 4 says, this is a picture of eternity. You're going to spend all of eternity worshiping God and, and, and fulfilling his desires. Yeah, it's about him, not you. But I would also say that whole uh, rest in Christ thing uh, is a form of, uh, I really want to coin a term. We should coin a term like latent Gnosticism, like a Gnosticism parasite, a Gnosticism (laughs) freckle. (laughs) It's like a Gnosticism freckle because um, it's, it's an attempt, I think, to subvert the physicality and the earthiness of God's grace. God's grace came to not 
do away with this earth. The earth is established forever, it says in, the, in scripture. God came to restore the earth. He came to put us back into the garden to help us fulfill and finally fulfill the dominion mandate. Right. This is, so to say that the physical and real tangible uh, Sabbath is repealed is to say that God's grace raptured us away from nature, raptured us away from the real tangible physical parts of life. Mm-hmm. It did nothing of the sort. Yeah. It expanded it. And one day the whole world is going to come from Sunday to Sunday and worship. Yeah. There won't, there won't be any cars left on the, on the road. Yeah. <laughs> one day, not be. You won't drive past the soccer complexes on Saturday yeah. or on Sundays. And, you won't be able to get and see all those little kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is from uh, Hodge's systematic theology. Um, and he talks about this. Uh, and I think we, we can kind of segue this as we, uh, close it off what close it off what does sabbath resting look like what we're gonna do that what 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 part of that so we talked about the the worship of god and and going to church and uh and worshiping and singing and and hearing the word preached uh but what else does that consider Are, are we free to uh recreate right um Free to recreation. Uh, I can't recreate anything. <laughs> uh, are we are we free for leisure and pleasure? Um, Westminster Confession says no. Um, but I just wanted to read this from Hodge's Systematic Theology. He says it's a popular objection against the religious observance of the Lord's Day that the laboring classes need it as a day of recreation. On on this, is an, it is obvious to remark, one, that there are many grievous evils in our modern civilization, but these are not to be healed by trampling on the laws of God. If men crowd laborers into narrow premises and overwork them in heated factories six days in the week, they cannot atone for that sin by making the Lord's Day for amusement. Hmm. So far from Sunday, uh, as generally spent by the laboring class being a day of refreshment, it is just the reverse. Monday is commonly with them the worst day of the week for labor. It is needed as a day for recovery from the effects of a misspent Sunday. Amen. That's so true. If you, if you yeah, I'm not even going to. Okay, so I wanted to, I see that we've only been going an hour and eight minutes. And to be honest, Tim, I thought we were going to be going for like two hours. So we, we probably could. So I wanted but, to continue answering this other objection real okay. quick. Um, so we've already have it established that, that the Sabbath is definitely a reality in the new Testament. It, it says it right there in Hebrews. Sure. It's, it's plain. And I was also going to ask, I was also going to want to talk about first day Sabbath in Greek and how it's actually said actually. And I'm sure you could expand on that. Uh, but I'm this dude, this is like one of my favorite topics. Yeah. I can't not cover these bases. We could go all day literally but you have cpa studying to get (sighs) don't remind me uh uh you just made me sad (laughs) okay so tomorrow's the sabbath so yes amen so a lot of people will say um they'll take these colossians passages and these romans passages romans 15 i believe colossians 2 and they'll say uh it's superstition to think these days are, are different and um no (laughs) <laughs> so in in revelation 110 when john said i was in the spirit on the lord's day that's actually a very deep statement it's the same it has the same deepness as saying the lord's supper 
so if it's the Lord's, what is it? His day. It, it's, it's, it's holy. When, when God says, I will write my name on your hearts, like I, you're mine. He says to Tim, you're mine. I'm yours. I wrote, I put my mark on your forehead in, in holy baptism. You're mine. You're holy. You're consecrated. You're, uh, you're as a, a beautiful jewel on the heart of the high priest as he enters the holy of holies. So when he says the Lord's day, he's saying that it is a holy day. Mm-hmm. And I would also add that in Isaiah, the Sabbath is also called the Lord's day or the day of the Lord. So, um, and no, I'm not confusing that with an eschatological day of the Lord. Um, but so was John confused? Was John arguing with Paul? Was John subtweeting Paul <laughs> without adding him and saying, oh, well, he says there's no such thing as distinction, but I'm here on the <laughs> Lord's day. No, John was not subtweeting Paul. They understood. They're completely coherent. Paul, in the context, if you look at, if you look at it, he says Sabbaths, plural, and new moons, plural. He's talking about the ceremonial festivals of the old covenant and saying, you don't need, you're not bound to those. Those, those have passed away. They're gone. They're done. So when, so when somebody tells you, uh, there's no such, they're mis, they're misreading it. And I misread it for a long time. I would actually get into arguments with my wife, who was my then fiance about working on Sundays or no, my then, this was years ago. So she was just girlfriend, just girlfriend. Um, and I would use those verses but if you take scripture and interpret it with scripture, new moons, Sabbaths and new moons, Sabbaths and new moons, Sabbaths and new moons is repeated many times in scripture. And it's always, always, always referring to the festival days, the ceremonial days of the old covenant, which have passed away. Which is where we looked at already is right. that referencing those old feasts is the, those feasts have found their fulfillment. Right. We, we celebrate the Passover when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the... Uh, Feast of Tabernacles as Gentiles when we go to worship on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Uh, those feasts are there. Um, and so you don't feel like you need to, uh, you know, th- there are some uh, believers who who like to do, you know, right around uh, Easter time, uh, celebrate the, the Seder dinner, you know, celebrate a Passover dinner as the, as the Jewish people would celebrate the Passover dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, which, okay, if, if you want to do that, it's fine, but you should. What what Paul would say there is, you're not. You should not be binding other believers to do those things. You know, if you're doing this as an education, as a, a as a reminder for your children of like, okay, look, here's what here's what the Jews used to do. Here's what this feast used to look like. I would highly discourage uh, people trying to recreate the the Feast of Tabernacles and slaughter <laughs> seventy bulls. Um, uh, if you in, do, in, give me some a, of that steak in a week. Yeah, pl- please. Um, uh, send it over to us. I've got a big freezer, um, but <laughs> but but all those things go go back to not wanting to um, uh, cheapen the the meaning of the fulfillment of those symbols. He's saying, right. he's saying don't go back to the old way because the the old way has found the new way, and the new way is better. And we we see that that's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Um, that's what Paul in Romans 14, when he's talking about those, uh, and then Colossians as well, uh, he, he's talking about those. Don't um, th- there's a different way to do this now, uh, and don't bind people to the other way. Exactly. And 
that's kind of what Paul's getting at. And I think Paul said, I think he said in Colossians, I, I don't want to, maybe I should say it in case I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he said, we celebrate the festivals of the Christ. We do celebrate the Christ. Uh, but the, so there's a curious uh, Greek phenomenon that we're kind of getting above our heads here when it comes to Greek, not Greek scholars. However, there's I've, I've read quite a bit about this certain topic. First with Francis Nigel, Francis Nigel Lee, um, and then also with uh, Phil Kaiser. And there's a curious phenomenon in scripture of a repetition of a phrase that's found in uh, the Old Testament and it's used to describe the first day of the week. And I think it's Miaton Sabbaton, the first day Sabbath, which a lot of people will say, oh, well, that's just, you know, it's just talking about in, in relation to the Sabbath, it's, it's the first day. No, 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 no. Because in the Old Testament, that phrase is, that phrase is used, the same phrase is used in, in Paul, the first day Sabbath, or the eighth day Sabbath, used in two different ways. So the uh, New Testament, uses that phrase and says the first day Sabbath or the eighth day Sabbath. So when it says in Acts, Acts 21, the first day Sabbath, on the first day Sabbath when you gather, what else does that mean? Excuse me, Paul's giving, Paul's giving a mandate and also reminding them on the first day Sabbath. What does that mean to a bunch of Jews who grew up celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles where there is a first day Sabbath, in quote, when you say on the first day of Sabbath, what does that mean to them besides the Sabbath that's on the eighth day or the first day of the week? Right? So it's right there in the Greek. In some translations, it's still there. And, we'll, and I'm going to put a really good article in, in the show notes for this. That in the Greek, it literally calls Sunday the first day of Sabbath. And, the, and that's go on Blue Letter Bible, go on whatever olive tree, whatever. Go there and check for yourself. You can see it right now. Your English translations have done you dirty. It says first day Sabbath. It says it right there. Um, let's keep talking about this for another hour. <laughs> well, and as Jeremiah said, we are going to keep talking about this. Uh, not quite an hour. Uh, we got about another 30, 40 minutes for you. As we'll get into some of the more practical implications of a Sunday Sabbath. What do we do on it? How do we sanctify it? How do we keep it holy? As well as answering some objections that that we commonly hear to uh, why we're not bound by it, including the the charge of legalism uh, and including the charge of uh, that it not being repeated in the New Testament as we already discussed here today. Uh, We're going to get into that practical implications uh, next time. So we're going to cut it off here. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you've been blessed by this episode, but uh, we're going to pick it up with some practical implications for next week's episode. Stay tuned. Have a great week.